Uh, welcome to the Web Monkey Podcast. I'm Jake Spurlock, your host, and with me today is Ross Patton. Ross is the one of our front end engineers here at Wired. And uh, say hi, Ross. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> So we're, we, we are trying to resurrect the WebMonkey brand, and um, part of our goal here, uh, traditionally WebMonkey was focused on what was actually happening uh, by the engineers out Wired related to, related to the web, um, stories and things of what engineers were doing here, how they were working on things on the website. And we've got a pretty awesome team of technical people here at Wired, and so we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the web world, and a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes here at Wired. Um, I guess I should let Ross introduce himself. Go ahead, Ross. Uh, Yeah, so as Jake said, I'm Ross. I am a uh, front-end engineer at Wired. I've been here three years now, almost three years. He's he's an old dog. That's ancient in Wired history. Seriously. Wired time. Yeah, like Kathleen, who's our boss, she's been here... Only a few months longer than me. Only a few months longer, yeah. but most of us are fairly new, like within the last year or so. Yeah. There's a couple people that are a little older than that, but yeah, for the most part, we have kind of a younger team of people here at Wired. Um, yeah, and my name's Jake Spurlock. I'm an engineer here at Wired. Um, I've been here since last June. So yeah, um, I work mostly on our WordPressy PHP things. Ross has a lot of our awesome front-end stuff and has done a lot of our front-end tool chain um, we'll let him talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I think one of the highlights for, for this podcast and what I think is really important to the WebMonkey brand is what's going on in the Wired kitchen every day. So today was like a really excellent day for food here mm. at Wired. Uh, Ross, what did we have for breakfast today? It's Thai Thursday. Uh, well, that wasn't breakfast though. Oh, breakfast. Amigas. Amigas. And what's in it? What's amigas? It's whatever you want it to be, Jake. Uh, for me specifically, I guess it was fried potatoes, eggs, cheese, like a creamy sauce, like right. a creamy. It's whatever. It was whatever you had yesterday for dinner <laughs> with eggs, basically. Oh my god! Is what I'm getting out of it. it. It was so good though. It was like this eggy, like a crunchy potato, cheesy, uh, spicy guacamole, spicy avocadoy sauce. It was really good. Uh, we have this great chef, his name's Travis, here at Wired, and does really good meals for us. So that was breakfast, and then at lunch today, today's Thursday, uh, today's April 23rd that we're recording. Thursday means one thing, Ross, what is that? It's Thai Thursday. Thai Thursday. So what was lunch today? What was it? It was it's like a... Coconut like, rice and pork and tofu yeah. and what else? Well, Pie salad. What did he call that pork? He called it... Uh, Thai-style sweet braised pork with coconut rice and fried shallots, carrot and papaya salad, green papaya salad with carrots and tomatoes, Thai aromatics, Thai chili, lime juice, fish sauce, and peanuts, oatmeal cookies, which had raisins, which I've... We had these amazing oatmeal cookies the other day, and I was like, the only way that these cookies would be better is if there was raisins in them, and today... Our kitchen team totally delivered, and there was oatmeal raisin cookies along with a passion fruit orange refresher. So in addition to like Wired being like an awesome place full of really smart people doing really cool projects, we have amazing food. So those of you looking for a job, just, just going to throw this out there. Wired might be a good place for you. All right, so moving on uh, into the news, which is what we're really here to talk about. Um, this week, Google launched their big uh, search algorithm update mobile get in mobile get in yeah so this has been a um 
it's been a big story for us and something that we've been really been pushing for um, with the launch of our redesign on March 1st. Um, yeah, Cade Metz, who's one of our editors here, he wrote this, this great story called Google Search Update Will Remake the Web in Its Own Image. And I guess the, the, the core of this is if you do not have a mobile-friendly site, Google is going to start docking you in your search rankings. So you could in have your a, mobile search. Right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Ross. Um, they've for a long time they've said that this was coming, and here it finally is this week. So if you do not have a mobile optimized website, you're going to start getting pinged um, in search rankings. What's really interesting too is say you do a search. Um, I did this the other day. I, my search term now for a Wired specific story. I always search for the address, just the address, <laughs> and. Um, in, in the list of search results that Google will give you in Chrome or Safari or whatever mobile browser you're using, um, it will say, it'll say like, I can't remember the name of the, ti- the title of that post now. Well, uh, it's the science behind the dress. Yeah, the science uh, behind the dress, something like that. What is it? The science of why no one agrees on the color of this dress. Exactly. The science on one, nobody agrees on the color of this dress. Google in the search results will say right under the title and the link it will say mobile friendly. And so if you do that search right now, you'll see like BuzzFeed and you'll see Tumblr and you'll see a bunch of other things. And the first non-mobile friendly website is all like way down at the bottom of the page. So it's not like we are exclusive in having a mobile friendly website. Every Like many other brands are doing this now, but Google is now preferring mobile friendly sites in their mobile search results which is something they're doing in addition to like um, your page speed. Like they'll say, if you do not have a fast page load, they can dock your, your search engine rankings there too. So something to keep in mind. Uh, we know, actually, I think it's, a lot of people are freaking out about it. Uh, a lot of people feel like this is Google imposing their will on uh, the internet at large. And then to me, I feel like this is the kind of thing that Google does well is sort of uh, encourage better practices yeah. across the web that right. kind of benefit them but also benefit the web in general. Yeah, it really benefits the user, right? Like, right. Like, had you have come to, I mean, Wired has been mobile-friendly for a long time, but had you gone to a site that was like a big flash screen or something like right. that, like that's obviously not good for mobile. So it makes sense both for Google to deliver the best possible results and, and it leads a better result for the end user too. Totally agree. Yeah, really interesting. So one of the other interesting things that they did is by adding a by adding a site name, Metafield. And so now when you do your search results, instead of having a the full URL, so like in the case of like the dress article, it'd be like http colon wired.com 2015-02, the dress. It'll now say wired and then it'll say 2015. Like, it won't have, like, the slashes and the HTTP protocol. It'll break. It drops all of that just to say wired and then the archive structure and then the, the slug of the post, which is kind of a new change. Because, like, I, I, it's one of these things that, as a web developer, I'm really fascinated by URLs, but, like, nobody else really cares about URLs. Like, Safari ditched showing URLs for a long time, right? Like, in Safari, right. you're just going to see the post title in the address bar. You're not you're not going to see a URL. You're just going to see the 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 post title. So kind of an interesting change. Um, moving on, one of the other big pushes that Ross has been uh, has been has you kind of took this on yourself even like yeah I I, I, I sort of have a tendency for taking on <laughs> Herculean tasks that just 
take way longer than I think it's ever going to take. Which is, in this case... Accessibility. Accessibility. So uh, this all got started, actually, because we received some angry emails concerning the fact that the site was not accessible, I believe. Was that right? Stephen got some emails. Yeah, that sounds about right. There was, some, there, was some, there was a tickets file, and I said, okay, I'll look into this. This is something that I actually thought was really important. And maybe we should back up a, a step or three. Sure. So, And I mentioned this a second ago. May for, or March 1st, we launched right, um, right. our big redesign. And so as this redesign, the, the design part of it was in work for like two years almost, <laughs> getting this design done, and then really pushing like the last nine months to do all of the code and and. Um, actually build the site, build the site out. And so we have this, it's a whole new interface, it's a whole new way to look at wired content. It's mobile friendly, it's, it's got lots of whiz-bang cool features. And, and so all of, after doing this redesign, this is where this influx of user comments comes in, of needing a way, uh, needing more accessibility, needing... So go, go ahead now. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, this is actually something that I, I was thinking about uh, at the very beginning of the, the phase where we started coding the site. Uh, I actually did do some accessibility work way, way back then. Um, then it just fell off the radar as things kind of picked up and more work and you know all these last-minute changes and then the pressure of actually delivering the site on time, accessibility kind of fell off the radar as it definitely wasn't like uh, something that you know was being pushed on us from outside. Uh, so I basically decided the last, I guess like the last week or so, it's been to sort of really deep dive into it. Yeah, it's been like two or three weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. It's been closer to a month because there's yeah. been several phases, I guess, yeah, in this yeah, push. Yeah. A lot of it has just been realizing how, uh, how deep it gets. Really, right. there's, there's a lot more there than I ever realized. And to be clear, like, if you go to wire.com right now, you will see a much better... Uh, more accessible layout and and design with accessibility in mind, but we're not saying that Wired is the no, no. like the source for all things as far as like perfection and accessibility goes, right? Right. I mean, I'm working on it. Yeah, we're tr- mean, we want we want that. We're not, I'm, right. I you know we're, we're just trying. We want to get there. We're not right. there yet, but we want to. So get the, there. my my process has been you know I I've, I've been reading the Debbie three Aria spec, you know religiously. What does ARIA stand for? You know, I don't even know. Because I looked this up. You know, somebody told me yesterday, I was in this great session at Fluent yesterday, and uh, what was it? ARIA. What does it mean? What does it mean? Accessible, rich internet applications. There we go. There that we makes go. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Why this did I is, think of that? We are total pros here. Yeah, we yeah. are total pros. Okay, go on, Ross. So, right. So, at first, it was just me sort of slapping around ARIA attributes and going like, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. And then I was like, well, there's going to be better ways of testing this. So I started looking at tools. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great ones out there. Chrome's accessibility audit extension is is by, by far the most reliable mm-hmm. and best one that I've been using. And for a while there, I thought like just getting rid of all of our preventable accessibility issues via the Chrome audit tool was enough. Mm-hmm. I thought like, hey, we're passing... All these tests, we're getting you know big. We're getting you know big green light. No more red lights. Uh, no more errors that we are that are preventable. Our site must be doing pretty good. Right. Uh, and I was starting to feel pretty good about it. I felt like we're actually making a lot of improvements. It's, the site's tabbing very well. Um, and then I actually tried using it with the screen reader. <laughs> and and it was kinda, like way better, right? No, no, <laughs> not not at all. Actually, it was. 
it made me it made me feel like the last couple of weeks have been sort of just like running in place basically because I realized uh, how little my, all my work actually amounted to when it, and I actually tried to navigate entirely via voice and tab, mm-hmm. you know, and I realized that there's a lot more work that goes into it making it accessible than just slapping a few attributes here and there. Mm-hmm. And so like most of this week has been rectifying those issues actually. And I hope that sometime soon, uh, sometime the next week, hopefully that all that work will get up, up on the website and uh, people will be able to browse our site with screen readers easily. Nice. Um, so you have, we have a little board here of things we want to talk about. You had a couple tools here that you listed. Right. Um, so you mentioned the Chrome uh, Accessibility Developer Tools. Is right. that what it's called? And then what about the this Gulp package? Right. So now uh, as part of this, um, you know, mainly we have so many templates and layouts and various parts of the site that all are laid out differently, different HTML, different CSS, and it gets really tedious to kind of like manually go from page to page to page, run as audit, check the results, do the work to fix it. It gets really, it's really slow development process. So I found this uh, gulp task, gulp alley, and that's a one one y by Addy Asmani, of course, and of course, and, uh, of course. and uh, <laughs> basically it runs the the Chrome audit via gulp, and you can just feed it a list of URLs. So that's what I've been doing uh, lately, as I just sort of sort of cataloged all the different variations of the site the different layouts and detections and parts of the site, feed it this long list of URLs, and it runs the audit against all those at once instead of me having to manually go and remember different URLs and places and, mm-hmm. and do these tests. So that's that's been really useful. Um, what else have I been doing? I've been using ChromeVox as my screen reader, uh, which I prefer over uh, VoiceOver, which is the free, uh, free uh, Mac uh, screen reader that comes with your operating system. Um, they're comparable, though. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't have any access, if you don't want to pay for a screen reader, or if you uh, don't have access to one of the most, the more preferred ones that are only available for Windows, I recommend Chromebox personally. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, I yeah, like I mentioned a second ago, I saw this um, this fantastic talk at Fluent uh, just yesterday. Uh, by a woman named Leonie Watson, I think is how you say her name, Leonie. Um, but if you go to uh, tink.uk, she has a copy of the presentation. We'll put a link in the blog post here. But her talk was called Accessible Custom Interfaces with HTML5, JavaScript, and ARIA. And just fascinating. It was one of those things like um, the like her first slide says, code like you give a damn. And I felt so guilty like immediately watching this because for all of the different interfaces and all of the different like sites that I've built over the years, like when you see somebody that's blind or has other kinds of um, accessibility problems, um, when you're not building an interface that can that can um, serve everybody with all of these different things, you're really doing a disservice to part of your readership. And um, so, kind of like little fire under me that we need to do more and do better. Um, for accessibility. So we have some great links that we'll share with you. Um, on a related front, one of the things that I've been working on is, like, like like we said, we did this redesign, and part of, you know, getting the redesign done was just getting things that worked. You know, do our slideshows work? Do our pages render? Does the homepage work with ads? Does Do all of these kind of different things. And so now that we kind of have the major building blocks in place, 
Um, we're, we're now working on things like accessibility. And one of the things that I did this week was um, looking into structured data, specifically uh, schema.org, using that as a way to mark up all of our data. Um, we were using mostly the article things. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do markup. Um, we ended up going the microdata route. In hindsight, I kind of wish we, there's a JSON-LD route that you can do um, where you can put a little inline script um, that'll say, uh, basically like a little way to like just mark up your text to say, um, if, you're, you, if, if you are using HTML specifically, it's easy to add like microdata attributes. But here you can do just little inline script tags that say this is the type of content, this is the author, the interaction count, the name of the post, the post content, and and just do it as JSON. Uh, with with where we do the majority of our content in WordPress, and we have like a global post object that floats around, it would be really easy to just take that JSON post, or sorry, that post uh, PHP post object, and then with a little bit of manipulation, render it out to JSON, and then just stick it in line with a bunch of the content on our page. So um, kind of really doing this more for for Google, for Juice, for SEO, blah, 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 all of that. Um, but I'm kind of curious to see how that will help us um, using Webmaster Tools and how Google will react to that. Um, up next, want to talk about Eric Meyer's talk yesterday from Fluent. Um, Eric Meyer, who you may know from Reset CSS, he's the guy that once upon a time uh, wrote it. It was how would you describe it, Ross? Reset CSS. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a way of smoothing out the inconsistencies between browsers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the and minor differences. You, yeah, you put margins to zero. You put right. padding to zero. Get rid of underlines. All right. Them. They all have their default way of rendering certain yeah. elements, and this basically resets that. And there are different ways of doing it. There's normalize. There's reset. Reset basically is more aggressive and basically. Sets everything to zero, kind of zeroes everything out, and then leaves you with a blank slate essentially yeah. to work with. Which is great, um, unless right, unless. <laughs> well, speaking of our earlier accessibility discussion, uh, one of the things that the uh, what that reset CSS did initially, and this is way back when, this is like when reset CSS first came out years yeah. and years ago. Uh, he set outline to zero. He zeroed out everything, right? That's mm-hmm. what reset CSS does. So he, he reset uh, outline to zero. Now, if you know about accessibility and about tabbing and about the importance of allowing uh, the outline to be there for focused elements, he has actually did a huge disservice to accessibility, although he didn't realize it at the time. Right, yeah, because, I mean, you might need an outline on a block-level element, right? Like, Or an inline. Like, you might need... Where we see outline most often is like on an input field, right? Right. Because like, yeah, totally. This is where my input is. I want to outline this here so right. that I can see. But if you're doing like tab navigation, you may right. want an outline that bounces around like the list items in a header. Exactly. If you're if you're if you're if you're visually impaired in some way, and you rely on that big bright blue outline to tell you exactly where you are in the page. Um, you're really doing a disservice to that person because that line doesn't exist, and now that person has no idea where he is and what he's looking at. Um, and he rectified this actually in later releases of Reset when it was pointed out to him. But by that point, like the damage had been done, uh-huh. and a lot of resets to this, to this day still include outline zero, bec- uh, just because of that. And uh, it's really a really hard thing to get rid of. I actually had to deal with this recently when I was doing uh, the tabbing improvements for Wired was 
realizing that outline was being zeroed out by our the reset that we were using, which was not Eric Meyer's reset. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still happening. So yeah, totally, very interesting. So <laughs> it was it was it was really interesting because Fluent traditionally has kind of been like O'Reilly's JavaScript conference, and um, the 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 title that they used this year was called uh, the Platform of the Web or something like that, and so. <laughs> Eric, in his talk, he got up and then basically he's like, I'm a CSS guy and I'm going to drop the hammer on JavaScript. Right. <laughs> he basically went to the JavaScript conference and slammed JavaScript in front of a whole bunch of JavaScript engineers. It was, I mean, I was sweating a little bit for him. I was like, this is, <laughs> you're, you're, um, you're poking the dragon basically here. Yeah, right? yeah. So, but I, but I do think that he really, um, there were some very strong opinions which is totally fair and very valid. But one of the problems that he said is um, there, one of his slides that he had in his talk was um, the web is a oh, – let me, let me pull it up here because I did – The web prizes ubiquity over consistency. Is um, that the one I'm looking for? That's not the exact one that I'm looking for, but I did really like that. The one that I'm looking for – Robustness principle? It's the one about – Oh, did I not take a picture of it? The web platform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the web platform. Uh, no, it was the one where he said something to the effect of um, JavaScript is a core foundation of the web now. So, um, and you can't take that away. That was Tom Dale. He said that. Yeah, okay, yeah. So if you don't know who Tom Dale is, yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. Dale is one of the co-founders of Ember. Mm-hmm. And he's been very uh, vocal about his feeling that uh, JavaScript is an integral part of the web and this idea that... Um, that your site is going to work without JavaScript, without JavaScript is ridiculous because who doesn't have JavaScript nowadays? Yeah, I think he might have rescinded some of that opinion recently. It certainly seems that Ember 2.0 fixes a lot of those issues. Yeah, but but I did think that it was interesting. Um, he countered uh, he as in um, Eric Meyer countered and said there's three core principles to the web. Right. There's first, which is HTTP. Second, which is HTML, and third, which is some kind of a browser on the on the viewer's end, some way to receive content over yeah, HTTP. It doesn't have to be a browser; it could just be some way of getting yeah, that yeah. data. Some some way of some, some, some way of consuming yeah. that data. And I do think that that's very interesting. Um, you know, CSS. I it, if you look at this, you know, ten years ago, that's a very, or even twenty years ago, like that's a very. Um, conservative thought, right? Like that is what the web is. The web is HTML. The web is HTTP. The web is a way to render that. But this is 2015, and maybe JavaScript is a ubiquitous part of the web now, and maybe that's what we have, and that's what, and that's how it is. One of the downfalls, though, an example that he showed was like the Instagram homepage. If you have JavaScript disabled, you get nothing when you land on the Instagram homepage. And so, is that Instagram's fault? Or yeah, right a little. Yeah, it yeah. kind of is. Kind of is. I mean, who else? Who who else are we gonna blame? Yeah, I mean, like it's fair to blame them, but should they should they have to worry about that? Is that an edge case that they need to worry about? Well, is accessibility an edge case that we need to worry about? I mean, how many of our readers are blind? Yeah, probably very little, to be honest with you. But it is, does that mean that we shouldn't service them in sure. some way? I would argue that we should. I, I, I totally agree. So it was a fascinating talk. Um, the whole presentation is up on YouTube. Um, one other thing that he did um, to talk about, too, and I, I just have a little um, blurb about this. It was Postel's Law, um, or it's called the Robustness Principle. There's a Wikipedia article about it. 
but it says, in computing, the robustness principle is a general design guideline for software. Be conservative in what you do. Be liberal in what you accept from others. Often rewarded, rewarded as be conservative in what you send. Be liberal in what you accept. Which is kind of funny because kind of like from my uh, vantage as like a um, like a engineer, it's almost the opposite. It's be liberal in what you give and then lock down what you accept. Yeah. <laughs> and do not You're sanitize, right, cleanse, right. everything. Do do whatever you can to make sure you are not liberal in what you accept, but only be very conservative in what you accept. So Zach Tolman, who's our lead engineer, I think he would think that way too. But um but yeah, but 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 super interesting. And I, obviously, this is specifically about TCP implementations and not about the web in general. But it was a but it was a great talk, and um, I thought it was just really fascinating. Um, another cool article that was on Wired this week uh, was written by a friend of mine. Actually, his name's Kyle Weens, and he's the CEO founder of iFixit, which is the company that does the breakdowns. So right. like, you get a new. Uh, day one, a new iPad comes out or a new MacBook or the Xbox or a PlayStation, whatever. iFixit is a company that will go and tear apart the device and photograph every step. If you need to replace a hard drive, you'll go to their website and they'll tell you how to take off the back panel of your MacBook, undo the battery, pull out the pins, you know, change the RAM, do all of those different things. iFixit is a... It's a company behind the, like, fix-it mentality. Um, and I really like what they're doing. He wrote this article. This is an opinion piece um, in Wired called, We Can't Let John Deere Destroy the Very Idea of Ownership. And apparently um, John Deere, the this is John Deere, the tractor company, uh, the lead goes, it's official. John Deere and General Motors want to eviscerate the notion of ownership. Sure, we pay for their vehicles, but we don't own them. Not according to the corporate lawyers, anyways. In a particularly spectacular display of corporate delusion, John Deere, the world's largest agricultural machinery maker, told the Copyright Office, which is uh, a division of the government here in the U.S., that the farmers don't own their tractors because computer code snakes through the DNA of modern tractors. Farmers receive an implied license for the life of the vehicle to operate the vehicle. It's John Deere's tractor folks, you're just driving it. <laughs> so kind of just a fascinating article. Um, and we'll put a link so you can read the full thing. But the gist being, when you buy a John Deere tractor, and um, General Motors has also brought up similar suits with their cars, um, you are, you're not buying a car. You're buying the right to, in essence, operate the vehicle. Um, and where this has come up is a lot of these new John Deere tractors have specialized software on them to help uh, run the tractors and um, honestly after watching uh, Interstellar last summer I just assumed tractors are driven by GPS satellites and uh, pulled by <laughs> gravitational forces I don't know how they actually work anymore um, but farmers will go and they'll work about um, like they'll want to like sideload their own custom software onto these tractors and John Deere has said no you cannot do that because we own the code and even by like sideloading or running your own code like they view that as an act of piracy Right. And they're they're going to the copyright office in hopes of shutting down and even possibly suing um, suing people that are trying to, in essence, hack their tractors. And I think this is just just fascinating and ridiculous all at the same time. So congrats to John Deere. I'm gonna buy a Kubota. I have no idea what that is. Kubota's another didn't you grow up on a farm? No. I didn't grow up on a farm. Well <laughs> my grandparents had a farm. Yeah. My we didn't have any tractors, though. My uh, my grandma and grandpa had a big plot of land up in mm. Washington, 
and they had a they had a Craftsman lawnmower, riding mower, mm-hmm. and we would drive that around like it was a four wheeler, and it had a little wagon behind it. And this is the kind of hard hitting technology news you get a wire. <laughs> All right, moving on a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the future story builder, Haley Nelson, who's the director of product uh, here at Wired. She wrote a great story about um, a new product that we unveiled here at Wired called the Future Story Builder. Um, in a nutshell, the Future Story Builder is a way for us to build featured stories. Um, it's in the name. It's in the name. It's in the name. It's not a great name, is it? It's very. It's it's about as dry a name as humanly possible. I, know, right? I would have come up with something a little more. I, Zach come up with this name? This is Zach's fault. This is Zach's fault. Blame Zach. We'll blame that. Okay. So here at Wired, we do these long form articles. Um, Ross can, what? I know we do some titles. Uh, some titles of ones that we've done. In the yeah, past. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of them. So uh, traditionally, it's, it was like hand done right. HTML, right? So traditionally, it was me uh, working until midnight for many days before these stories would go up. Yeah. So we started with, uh, the very first one of these that we did was Station to Station. And that was over a year ago now. And since then, we've been sort of trying to do more and more. So we followed up with The Surge, which is a really fascinating look at uh, Afgan- a story to, of uh, The Surge in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I actually know about polio in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I, I, got one, I got one fact right. Yeah. I worked on the story. Why don't you know these things? <laughs> uh, maybe, since then, we've done a whole lot. Um, our most recent one was the uh, our most recent one. The first one that we built using Featured Story Builder was our Apple Watch uh, expose. Yeah, um, and we're going to be using it for all of our future ones, hopefully. Yeah. So the gist in the old days was like this is the like parallaxy, scrolly, lots of big images, full screen. Kill your browser. Kill your browser. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the first week that I started working here. Um, I met Ross like the first day or two, and then he disappeared into the darkness for like three or four days. And um, we had a big all hands meeting like the following Monday, and that's when we revealed the Snowden story, where Wired got an exclusive to go to Russia to meet with Edward Snowden. Right, there were burner phones and. Yeah, but like straight up CIA level, like. Right. Yeah, really cool story. And so. Um, yeah, so this is now a nice and easy like way to build this. So we use WordPress, and so in the back end of WordPress now, you can select a new story as a featured story type, and from there you get a nice drag-and-droppy interface right. for building different sections of the story. Right. I no longer have to be disappeared into a closet for several days whenever one of these stories have to happen. Right. Now our web producers can do that. Right. In the <laughs> open. No closets needed. Yeah, no closets needed. So right. um, Haley wrote a great story about this, and we'll put the link into the uh, into the, the blog post. And someday maybe this is something that we could open source. This is actually built on top of um, a product uh, that was built that we kind of hacked along a little bit. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about it. Um, I didn't. I did have a little note here. I want to talk about my call with uh, Windows Tech Support the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned this in our in our hip chat room the other day. Um, so I got a call. Um, this was Tuesday night at like seven o'clock, and it was a weird area code, but it was like it was a here in the U.S. area code. And so I picked up the phone, and it was somebody uh, with an accent. And they said they were from Windows Tech Support, and there was an issue with my computer, and I needed to upgrade. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I really need to upgrade my Windows PC that I don't have because I have like we're a Mac house, we have iPhones, like yeah. So so I had, I've heard about this 
And so I got really kind of giddy almost. My wife was like, who are you talking to? What is going on? And so I was like, oh, I'm on the phone, honey, with Windows tech support. I, this is really important. And so they said, yeah, you know, so we, we want to help you with this upgrade. And I was like, okay, perfect. Thank you. Got to stay upgraded, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so the guy's like, so on your computer, press the, the, the Windows key. And I was like, oh, I don't have a Windows key on my computer. And um, you were dreaming oh, no, of no. all the karma you're going to make from yeah, this, right? So much karma, yeah. so much, so many internet points. Um, before he asked me to do the Windows key, he said, um, "So if you look at your computer down in the bottom left-hand menu, press the start button." And I was like, "I don't have a start button." And in my mind, I was like, "Do I tell him that I have a Mac or do I tell him that I have Linux? Like, which one would be funnier and which one would give me more internet points?" And so I was like, "I don't have a, I don't have a start key." He's like, "Okay." find the Windows key on your keyboard. And he's, I'm like, I don't have a Windows key on my keyboard. He's like, do you know where the control key is? And I was like, yes, found it. He's like, what's next to that? I'm like, alt. He's like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, there should be a Windows key there. I'm like, it says alt. I don't know what's going on. I have this keyboard that I bought at, uh, at Best Buy. And, um, and so he's like, well, you need to open up a web browser. I was like, okay, I can open up a web browser. And so I opened up Chrome. And uh, he tells me to start typing in an address, and I start typing, and it it quickly devolved into, and I said, you know what, I I actually don't have Windows, I have a Mac, and I'm a web developer, and I really just wanted to see what was going to happen here, and he went off the handle, just like like obscenities that I didn't even think existed, like were suddenly slung my way, right, and. Anyway, so if you get a call from Windows Tech Support, make sure they're calling from Redmond and not from wherever this guy was calling from. Okay, I want to move on to a little segment here called Friday Faves. Hopefully, this will be coming out tomorrow. Um, I've got to edit this tonight so that we can release it tomorrow. So on a Friday, you need some things to to look at, to play with on the Internet. Um, I've got two of them that I want to share. The first is at Derp Press, which is D-E-R-P-P-R-E-S-S. Today, um, WordPress 4.2 came out, um, which pretty excited about. And uh, Derp Press is kind of this parody WordPress account that's really funny. And I uh, encourage you all to check it out. Ross, do you have something for a Friday fave? Friday fave? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I got two. I can think of off the top of my head mm-hmm. as I was not prepared for this uh, recording whatsoever. It was on the Trello board. Uh, <laughs> who looked at that? Um, anyway, so this I can't. I saw this in the uh, Reddit uh, JavaScript subreddit, uh, Sprint.js. Um, you had another jQuery clone, <laughs> but this one I actually looks a little interesting because it's the whole purpose is to basically take the most commonly used. Uh, jQuery uh, methods and do it in a completely modern, fast way as opposed to the bloated, browser-friendly way. So if you're uh, doing a site and you want the convenience of chainable uh, jQuery-like methods but not the bloat of jQuery or the slowness of jQuery, uh-huh. Sprint.js apparently is your uh, is your friend here. It sounds like just the thing for me. And it's... Uh, Five kilobytes. Jeez, that, that's that, pretty good. That's tiny. That's super um, small. Of course, do you really need this? Probably not. But you could just use if you jQuery. just can't kick your jQuery <laughs> habit, then maybe Sprint.js is for you. Interesting. Uh, and another one, I'm just going to put this in here because I had a conversation yesterday with someone on our team about the value of W3 schools. Oh. 
And I, I don't know how many of you out there use that as a reference, but you really should stop. You got to stop. And I recommend you check out this website called W3 Fools. It's with an F uh, to learn more about why you shouldn't do that. I really just I really just did that in there just to <laughs> rub it in Ben's face. This is really the only reason why I did that. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to whoever on our team brought this up, but I think that it is okay to look somewhere else first, but I don't think W three schools deserves all the flack that they get. And that's all I'm gonna say. Uh, that's it. That's okay. All okay. okay, my other thing that I want to share as a Friday fave is the game X Wing Miniatures. Um, they're not a sponsor. Um, I just think it's a fun thing. If you're into board games, if you're into miniatures, which is an even smaller segment of people that are into board games, and you want something kind of light and fun, check out X-Wing Miniatures. We played a couple games this week. I brought in some stuff that I have, and it's pretty fun. Had a fun game with David Pierce the other day and Tony Vong Prashang, who's on our team. And, uh, yeah, it's super fun if you like board games. So, anyways, that's our premiere episode of WebMonkey. Um, I'm your host, Jake Spurlock. You can find me online at, at whyisjake. So like, why is Jake on Twitter? Or why is Jake on Facebook? Or why is Jake on GitHub? Why is Jake Just why is. Why, why, why is. Nobody knows. Anyways. Yeah. Where can they find you, Ross? Uh, yeah, you can find me on GitHub, at Ross Patton. At Ross Patton. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I don't really, I have a Twitter. And if you want to look me up there, you're more than welcome to. But I don't use it. Ross has got some cool stuff on GitHub. He's created some really cool uh, stylus linter that you should all check out if you're linting your stylus. If you're not, the five of you who are doing that, all five of you, you should check it out. Anyways, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 